villainous thing like he's a murderer and all that stuff all right welcome to your church friends podcast i am chris i'm yurdich and we are on episode three yeah episode three of the villain season villains (laughs) (laughs) same laugh that you hear in the beginning of the show uh hey you did something cool this weekend was it this weekend or last weekend it was this weekend yeah i I like how i had the the puzzled look on my face because <laughs> the passage of time. Yeah, I went out to Camp Agape, California. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that because that's a cool thing that I think people should hear about. Yeah, Camp Agape, it's put on kind of a partnership. I think it's partnership or it is the same people, something to uh, Angel Tree, which is an organization that every Christmas uh, they partner up with people who are in prison in order to get the kids' presents actually from their mom and dad to keep their relationships kind of built up there, which I think is really special. And it's actually a present from the parent in prison to the child. And, you know, they get them legit gifts. But this camp that they put on is, again, for that same demographic, kids who have one or both parents in jail and are just struggling through that. So it's a four-day weekend, leave Friday, come back Monday. And it's really cool. They theme out the days. Day one is trust. Day two is love. Day three is forgiveness. Day four is hope and prayer. And they partner up. It's uh, You have the mentors, which is kind of what I was. I was a cabin lead even. So you have whatever the adults are that come in. And they partner you up with like two or three angels, the, the kids. And just all weekend, you're with them. You're building the relationship. You have Bible study, soap. So scripture, observation, application, prayer. And you're going through that with them. Uh, they have worship time. They have a little message. And the messages are all themed, you know for people who have gone through this and a lot of the people that run and that speak it have been in jail or have been you know they've had kids or they were kids of the situation Mm. and now it's been going on long enough that there have been angels who have been in the program for the past like four years and now they're old enough to be mentors and stuff so it's it's just really cool to me it's one of those things that's just really near and dear to god's heart i've gone two years now and i don't really want to give the specific examples but To just be there with like an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old that maybe they've never even met their parents because dad went into jail two weeks after, you know, kid was born and has been in jail the entire time. They've only known their dad at visitations and obviously, or not obviously, but a lot of times home life isn't that great when that kind of stuff is going on. Just hearing the stories of these little kids and just how much of a burden they carry and stuff and just be there for a weekend with them, to love on them, to be there somebody they can trust, to share with, to be able to bring the gospel in and show them that, you know, God is good. He is a good father, and <laughs> you might not have had that earthly experience, but to be able to come and get the healing from that and come to know him so that we don't repeat the same mistakes, it's a, it's a really cool camp. Yeah, it's, it always sounds cool, and when you come back from it, it always sounds like such a good time, and the kids just always get encouraged, and it, it is. I think it's one of those things where you look at it and like, Every time they come and I hear the stories and, or you talk about the things, to me, it's always the thought in my head of like, this is the church in action. Mm-hmm. This is what the church should be doing. You know, more of this and less of some of the other stuff we do. Because that, that, that to me shows God's love on a level beyond anything else is giving back to kids who are in situations that not even brought upon themselves. They're just born into this 
disaster. Yeah. Which then is all of us, you know, so it is, it's a cool thing. I really like that. Since you brought it up, I'm going to use it as an opportunity to put the plug. Like, if this sounds really cool, which I'm thinking that it will, go and donate Camp Agape, California. You know, go and give them some support. It's going towards a great cause. They have them kind of all over the place. They started in Hawaii, now they're in California. I'm not sure where else. But you can get involved. You don't need to be a mentor. They have a huge need for volunteers that just help run some of the games, help set up the food, help check the kids in and out and different stuff. So there's different levels that people can get involved. You know, other just through monetary support, definitely prayer, be praying for the thing. And then if you can actually make it to one and get involved in some way, highly recommend. Again, it's something that if we can put more support as the church, you know, going into action, do it. Thank you. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes too. the link. Oh, yeah, yeah, people will have that and they can see that. All right. That was cool, though. Uh, Season three. Let's talk about a villain. Yeah. Coming into this episode, like you're going to ask me a question that I'm completely unprepared for. And I was kind of prepared for that one. Yeah, you're perfectly prepared. (laughs) Yeah. You seem to have a good answer this time. Finally. I like it. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) Like every time you come back, it seems like a good time. Like, yeah, but you need to give me two days to recuperate before I can even speak again. I mean, my voice is shot. I'm still tired. You sent me that schedule and I was like 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. And there didn't look like many gaps for nap or break. There is no break. They do have a prayer tent and they do allow you to like, that's where the volunteers can also sub out with you so you can go and catch a break. But no, it's pretty nonstop. They pack it in. Yeah. Anyways, let's talk about a villain. Let's talk about one. And for this villain, we are going uh, very near to the beginning. So we're going to be in Genesis 4 looking at Cain. Not the wrestler. Not the wrestler. Every time the name Cain, I guess by this point, most people listening know I'm a big wrestling fan. But every time I do hear the name Kane, I do think straight to the wrestler. And in my head, I hear when he debuted out as a wrestler, Mm -hmm. it's Kane, it's Kane, by gosh, it's Kane. (laughs) Good old Jim Ross doing his thing. But yeah, that's what I hear. But not that Kane. Yeah. Well, I kind of feel like once you get to know him, I'm like, yeah, maybe he was also (laughs) like, he had that kind of an entrance. But yeah, looking at the story of Cain, I just wanted to set it up a little bit, looking at, again, we're in Genesis 4, which means we had Genesis 1, 2, 3, and here we are, and we're looking at a villain, and man, you have the creation story, right? God just coming, and he's making this amazing world for us to live on, and man, he made the thing, and it was good. He made the thing, and it was good. He made the thing, and it was good. God wanted to put us into a good environment that we could flourish in, right? And even he set it up in such a way that he put Adam and Eve in the garden, which the garden wasn't the whole planet. And he was like, hey, work alongside me. I want you to be part of this story to like go out and subdue and have dominion and be creative and, you know, rule over this with me in a good way. And man, he gave them one rule. Do everything. Work alongside me. Everything is fantastic. World is at your fingertips. Literally, just don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, that's a whole podcast series in and of itself, but eventually, right? After however much time came along, we have uh, the serpent coming along and think that we might throw the serpent, the devil, you know, into into this uh, villain series. Yeah, so we'll yeah, get we, there. We, we'll get into more of that. Yeah, but he came along and man, that tempter that he is, did God really say that? No, you can do this. You're going to become like God. Tempted Eve, which again, when you actually read the scriptures, it says that Adam was there with Eve. So it's like, dude, step up. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. Step in there with your wife, help, help protect her there. But they fell in and then judgment came upon. Uh, well, first they hid and then judgment came upon. So I'm just giving this that we're very close to the, the genesis, so to speak, of everything where everything was good. And then you have Adam and Eve 
and they fell. And there's a consequence of that fall to where they get kicked out of the garden. And there's an angel there with a flaming sword like, no, you don't get to come back in. And then the very next thing that comes from that is, well, then Adam and Eve had their first child and named him Cain. So we've only had two other human characters up until this point. So we're entering into who else is entering the scene of this thing that we call human history. And we, we get into Cain. So I don't know. You want to take it from there? Yeah. So we got Cain and then eventually is born Abel. And they both grow up and they, they get into professions, if you will. You know, Cain becomes a, a gardener and starts working the ground and growing things out of that, which is great. And Abel becomes a, a herder. So he's herding the sheep. He's into doing all that. So they're both doing a thing. They both have a job. They're both doing it. And then the Bible gets into where then Abel, who did this, he would offer up a, a sacrifices to God. So he would, you know, slaughter the first of his animal the best one, and he would offer it to God, and God was pleased with it. Then you get into Cain, and there's wordplay here. And the, the Bible, the way the authors wrote things was, I think there's always specifics to how they phrase things, you know? Like, it, it's, it's not there for not a reason. Well, and especially, we miss so much of it because we're dealing with translations. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things when I'm listening to different stuff. Is like, the Hebrew, even sometimes it's the way that when you speak it, it sounds the same, or there's a rhythm to things. That I'm so thankful that we have an English translation because I don't speak those languages, you know. Nope. But on your point is that yeah, it's it's particular and it's mm-hmm. and it's purposeful. So to be able to find those things, it's... catch those words, and what the one that I caught with this was it says, "In the course of time." So time had gone on, and who knows how long, how much time has gone on since the creation, exile, and getting kicked out of everything, and where Cain and Abel are at. But over the course of time, eventually Cain delivers an offering and a sacrifice to God and it says some of his fruit you know there's wordplay of like best first Abel just did it where Cain was course of time some of his stuff and God wasn't happy with it and before I move further when I when we look at the story of Cain and Abel I think a lot of times we kind of focus in on Abel as the main character and he was the guy who was killed but I think looking at Genesis 4 that's really more of a story of Cain like, it's Cain's account. It's his story of what he goes on to. So he offers up a sacrifice, and God's like, I don't like this. I, I don't like it. And uh, people will get into it, and we'll probably talk about, like, yeah, why will. was one like better than the other type thing? But it just wasn't like by God's standards. And so Cain then eventually, he gets mad, and he gets angry. And his face is downcast, or, like, just kind of distraught. And and upset about this, even to the point where God has to come to him and have a conversation with him. And you don't, like you see Adam and Eve have a conversation with God. I, I don't know if it ever happened with Abel, but you don't read that Abel had a conversation with God. But God was so concerned with the heart of Cain that he comes and says like, hey, why are you like this? What's going on in your heart? And, and there's a beautiful image where Cain's like, oh, I'm, you know, you can see he's just frustrated. And it says, uh, sin is crouching at your door ready to get you. But if you do what is right and, and master it, you'll be okay. And eventually then Cain kind of just goes off. And, and, you know, you don't know the time from when God talked to him to when he then goes into the next phase. And I think that's important to understand because a lot of people think like they had this conversation. And you could read it that way because it goes one to the other that it then happened the next morning. Yeah, that's one of the things that... In just the way that the Bible is written, which I think that it's good it's written that way because it's already a big collection of books 
you know, but it definitely can seem like, oh, this happened, then this happened. Right. But a lot of times we don't know how much time and actually through scholarship and stuff where we can suss it out. Sometimes it's years. I mean, you get into the book of Acts and it just seems like, oh, that happened, that happened, that happened. It's like, no, there's like 16 years between those two things. Yeah. So yeah, to just be aware of timing on stuff, it's a good thing to keep in the back of your mind. Yeah. And so eventually what happens then is that Cain is so frustrated, he calls his brother out to the garden or to whatever, to a field, and he grabs a steel chair and cracks him in the back. No, that's Cain the wrestler. He, 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 I was like, no way, what verse was that? <laughs> verse, uh, I made it up in my head. Uh, no, he, he ends up murdering his brother. And, and the interesting thing is we go from two, garden, beautiful, wonderful living, and then the temptation and exile, and three, and then the very first thing is a murder. You know, the, the very first thing that happens in the Bible, as far as like you would say, probably a sin, is murder yeah what happens once you're no longer in eden right a brother killing a brother a brother kills a brother and so then god comes and says you know hey where's where's abel and the most famous line within the story is cain's reply i don't know am i my brother's keeper and then god gets frustrated with him and says your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground and i can hear it and then he says uh, i'm gonna make you a wanderer on this earth, and you're going to wander it because of what you did. And then Cain says, oh, but God, if someone sees me, they're going to kill me. And he says, no, I'm going to put this mark on you. So he put a mark on him. And again, I don't understand what this mark is or what it is. I'm not going to speculate. There's a lot of questions that get brought up in the story that maybe we'll touch on them. But yeah. yeah. And a lot of it will, goes into a lot of speculation. Yeah, but exactly. then eventually, so Cain says, okay, he accepts that punishment, goes out, gets married, and then builds a city. And, and that's kind of where we'll stop it right there for that point. But that's the story of Cain and what he did. And why is he a villain? I look at it and it just was a man who was angry. But also, it just seems like his heart wasn't right with God. And that, that's how I look at it. Why we put him in the story. It's not the murder thing. The murder thing is wrong. But we have people in the Bible who we look at as heroes who murdered someone. Moses murdered a dude. And that's not the, what gets brought up about Moses. You know, he's the bringer of the Ten Commandments, the walker through the wilderness, and all that other stuff. So, so I, I don't want to make it seem like the murderer is the villainous thing, like he's a murderer and all that stuff. But he just had an anger deep resonated that, that didn't sit well. And I was thinking about that this morning as well, just like what makes a villain? So even when you were saying that, I just pulled up Merriam-Webster and a few definitions there for villain character in a story or play who opposes the hero another definition a deliberate scoundrel or criminal scoundrel that's not a word you hear often anymore yeah number three one blamed for a particular evil or difficulty so someone who opposes a hero a deliberate scoundrel or criminal or someone who's blamed for a particular evil or difficulty and one of the things that i was thinking about even where i wanted to give some of the background into kane's story is and we're not going to hit them either of them in our series but i was just thinking adam and eve we wanted to look at stuff like they deliberately went against god and Mm. we could blame them for a lot of difficulty and evil in the world like we don't get a lot about their story it's really just that and then you know not much else but like kind of the ultimate villain everything was good before they did something But here we have we have Cain following along in his father's business. Right. <laughs> right. He just no. I like what you're saying there. That yes, there's an action, and a lot of us can do actions, 
But what makes him the villain is that heart issue, right? That just like where he stood before God in relation to those around him, he falls into that. He was opposing God. He deliberately went out and murdered, and we could blame him for that. So kind of tying in those three definitions together. So, so what are your thoughts on, on any of this? Yeah, when you ask what my thoughts are, it's really reading through it. As we've hinted on a couple of times, there's so many questions that get brought out in it that kind of digging into that is a lot of like where my thoughts and my questions going to. Because, okay, well, what was the real root of that heart issue in him? And it comes down to, and you, you noted it in verse 3, says, So in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord, while Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but had no regard for Cain and his offering. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. So there's just so much going on within that. So you have two brothers, same family, doing two different things, and God's looking favorably on one and not on the other. And just the comparisons that can happen there, even the self-worth, the self-critic, all of those things are just, I'm doing work. And, you know, just all of those things when I bring it to today, when I can look at, well, why is God blessing that person and not me? And just trying to really make these people human because they were, you know, and look at what was going on. And you see that so Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. He got mad and he got depressed. Like, I'm doing this. Well, what is my life worth then? Yeah. You know, what is this? But I think that you, you brought it out that he brought some of the fruit of the soil, whereas Abel brought the best. I think that those are some key things to hinge on there. Yeah, I like what you're saying there. I like more when you said the, if I were to make it, like for today, like how would I look at this today? So we look at sacrifice in the Bible is an act of worship. And my thought when you were saying that was, if I came into church on a Sunday and worship the way we worship here by singing a song, but Monday through Saturday, I was out there sinning and doing whatever and more living the way I wanted to. When I came here to sing, would that song be pleasing to God? Or would it be rejected in a sense? And, you know, you read in the Bible where it says that our, uh, what can prevent our prayers from being answered, and one of them is a life of sin. So to me, I look at it, Cain, and I'm like thinking there had to have been a definite heart issue. And that response, that immediate response of anger and downcast lets me know that there's something cooking there that's already been boiling up before we even get to this story. And I think... Is it Moses who's, who wrote Genesis? I think that he's, or is that a bigger question within a question? That is probably one of the more traditional views of it, which hey, if you think that he did, yeah, there's other theories, JDEP, and just like you get into the how the different things are written. If we say Moses wrote it, sure. Cool. All <laughs> yeah. right. So whoever wrote it, the author, I think they're giving us a, a hint when they give us his response, that his immediate response was anger and downcast that like he was just frustrated by god why god why aren't and, and 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 it goes back to that relating it to us right like we come here and we're like i've did whatever i wanted through the course of my life and i'm going to come worship you then on a sunday the way i choose to on my time but god why aren't you answering my prayers why aren't you looking favorable on my life oh now i'm mad at you and you're not really there you know i'm gonna take it and flip it but one i just wanted to bring up you said hey you come to church on a Sunday and then the rest of the days you're out living a sinful life and doing things. 
I'm just going to put in the caveat there's living a sinful life without coming to God in repentance. Because, dude, we all screw up, right? And I get what you're saying. Like, if there's just a complete lifestyle to where the gospel hasn't truly affected your heart, then that's a thing. Right. But there's also a thing to where, you know, you can know God, but then just be walking in the disobedience like, ah, I'm hiding in the garden, so to speak. Like, I'm hiding from you because I did wrong. It's like, no, come confess your sins and keep coming to God and keep confessing them for as long as it is for grace to take the effect in your life. So that was just a side point. I don't live a sin, a sinless life, you know, from Monday to Saturday. I try. I try, but when there is failings, need to come bring it to that point. But you kind of took the perspective there that there's already something wrong in Cain's heart, and that's why he was angry and having that. But I'm trying to see what would maybe bring him to that point. And when I was really trying to put myself in this situation, okay, so Abel has his flock. Cain has his field. I know that in both of those things, when you're working in it, both tough jobs, mm-hmm. but the fruitfulness that can come from that, I don't know, it kind of seems like if you have a bunch of animals, as long as you are able to feed them and keep them healthy, they're just going to procreate and you can just keep growing that and have that. And I see that there could be an abundance there and, you know, obviously things can go wrong. But in Cain's situation, to grow something from the soil, there's a lot of different variables there. Big ones is just, hey, God, you need to send the rain. You need to send the sunlight. You actually, I'm putting seeds in the ground. I don't know how to make that thing grow. You know what I mean? So you put in the work, but you're not guaranteed the results. And I get that that's the same thing with the flock. And there's a lot of times where farmers can have a bad yield or whatever it is. And again, trying to make it, none of this, all of this is speculation, but just trying to suss it out a little bit of what are situations to where I might not be willing to really give God the first fruits or the best. A lot of times where I feel like I'm having a lack, you know, I just wonder if that's a situation they're both putting in work and it's really easy by, oh, well, Abel's been blessed. He's able to come and sacrifice the best of everything. I'm trying to feed my family. I'm trying to work and we had bad crops. So like, I'm going to give what I can. And I think even when you're saying that it's touching on something of like, when we come into like money, right? Because now what do we do? We We work and we get money and it's, well, I'm struggling here, so I can't pay my bills, so I'm going to not give to God his, what's, God's. what's God's in his worship. So over the course of time, I gave him some. Mm-hmm. And the idea, again, is that, like, well, why did you even give that some? And when you look at Abel, who gave the best, and we, like that word again, that best, it's because he said, I will give you my best because I'm trusting you'll give me better. And where Cain kept some of his best or took his best for himself, it's because there was that, I don't trust you enough. I think a lot of this Cain and, and God story is, is really about how we can, our relationship with God, and if not fully trusting him, what the story kind of looks like. We get angry, we get frustrated. You know, I, I don't want to speculate on why God didn't accept the sacrifice too much. Yeah, even what we've been yeah. talking about, we're, we're putting a lot of our opinion in there. Obviously, there's a story that, that follows it, but... Uh, I think that scripture is given to us so that we do chew on it and try and, mm -hmm. you know, it's wisdom that we're trying to pull out. And and I think a lot of times, too, I don't think the problem was actually the sacrifice itself. I I don't think it was the the sacrifice, and I don't think it was really the substance. I know a lot of people, especially in the older times I grew up hearing, it was because it needed to be a blood sacrifice, and the blood sacrifice needed to be done, and the fruit thing is no good. 
But then you get in down into like later where you have like your grain offerings and these other offerings that aren't a blood sacrifice. Well, that plus God was just telling him, hey, do what's right. He mm-hmm. wasn't saying do what's right and become a shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's just like it's more about where is your heart at? Do what's right. And, and that's what I get down to it is the problem was the heart of the person giving the sacrifice. I, I read a few things and I thought they were cool. This one said uh, Cain was not offering from faith. He presumed to defy what his, define what his sacrifice would be. He was the captain of his own heart. God would not have taken him and his offering as it was. Cain's error was what later prophets such as Micah would rile against. Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require you to do? Justice. Uh, to love kindness and to walk humbly with him. But Cain was singularly unjust, unmerciful, and unhumble. And I thought that was a really cool way to kind of look at it in a different light. I never really looked at this and tied it in with Micah in that same vein. And, and we see it all the time where there are plenty of times where God says, I don't want sacrifice, I want you. Mm-hmm. And I think this was that point where, where you know, Cain, he just came in at his, the time he decided to over the course of time. Okay, this is a good time now to do it. Maybe it was during a season where he had more. And so he's like, oh, I could take some of this extra and give it to God instead of doing it like the best of. But he basically came to him on his own terms. And, you know, I, th- I think uh, Hebrews 11.4, you have that up, right? Mentioned yeah, and that's that. where I was going to go because when we just are in Genesis 4, a lot of that quote that you just gave is just like, well, that's speculation. Yeah. But one of the b- words that you brought out was faith and, and those things. So in Hebrews 11.4, We have, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God gave approval to his gifts. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. So really bringing that faith in, so that trust in, right? And says that his faith, by faith, he offered a better sacrifice. And you were talking about the substance of the sacrifice, but I really think that it was more of, um, it's my personal opinion it is more of the like the first fruits and the giving joyously and all of those things are doing god it's yours i'm happily giving it to you and you know we'll work on it from there and that's where i think that cain held back and it wasn't by faith that he was giving it it was i know that i should you know whatever it is mm-hmm. but he did do it but and, it doesn't seem by is, faith faith is such a heart issue too like it, it's such a thing that like i have to in my heart have faith that God is going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me. And it it's the check of where my heart is at. And I think that's where, when I look at this, I just really do see a man. I, I heard this from a pastor who said, uh, Cain's sacrifice wasn't about worshiping God. It was about his self-righteousness. Look at me. I did it too. And I, I really kind of clicked with that because I think a lot of times I do that. Like I I kind of sometimes come to God and it's not so much because I want to come to God. It's because it's like, oh, well, they're doing it. I should do it too. Uh, Not so much more now today, but definitely in times where probably not really at all within the recent years, but definitely times when my heart wasn't right and my relationship with God. Really, I could put it this way. I I do struggle with jealousy. It's just something that's in me. If I see someone doing something in the same work with me as me and they're more successful, it bugs me. It actually bothers me. And then I try to see, well, what are they doing? And if I do the same thing, would it bring me the same success? Or look at, I could do the same things they're doing. Look at me. But it's all about me. And it's not really about what God wants from me. And I think, you know. So you're just really annoyed by me, right? 
Yeah, yeah, all the time, <laughs> all the time. Uh, mainly more for the beard than anything else. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's kind of what I, I, I did like that because I do think it almost, by the wordplay of over the course of time, it was, okay, I did this too, look it, I did it. And I don't think it was really him trying to worship God as much as it was just self-righteousness. Yeah, one of the things in there that you were talking about, and I am constantly wrestling through this because it's really common in today's Christianity, Western Christianity, American Christianity, whatever. My A lot of what I'm surrounded by and what I hear is so much of, well, God knows my heart, and it is about like your intentions and you know all those things, which I think is true. But there's also something to obedience that sometimes even if you don't really know or you don't really want to, the act of being obedient is in itself an act of faith. And it's through our faith that that pleases God. And I think back to the Passover, the original one back in Egypt, to where God just said, hey, you need to you need to kill the animal, you need to eat it, but also put the blood over the doorposts. And the sign there was God wasn't like, hey, did you really think that I was going to? It was, if you think that I'm going to, to the point that you actually put the blood on the doorpost, I'll pass over you. And that act of faith, and then it's just through the obedience that then, okay, I'll do it because there's at least that mustard seed of faith that I'm going to see the result at the end of it. So I can even almost bring that back into Cain and Abel to where Cain, if he would have just been obedient to, I'll give you the best. I don't even know if his heart really, because sometimes you, I don't fully trust that I'm going to see the mm-hmm. results or whatever, but I know God enough that I can say, because of who you are, I can set my own stuff to the side and listen to you, trusting that it will be better for me. You know what I mean? So for yeah. me, the faith and the whole intentions and stuff like, yeah, God doesn't want us to begrudgingly follow him and stuff. But sometimes I've gotten to the point of my own mind is messed up. My own emotions are messed up. My own whatever. I I just need to listen to God and get out of my own way and trust that it, like I'll see the results at the end of it. And I, I like that you brought that up, the heart thing, too, because. God knowing our heart and our motives, most people look at it as like, well, he knows my heart and motive. No, God knows your heart and motive. That should scare you. Like that thought alone puts fear in my bones when I thought about it when you're talking. Like I got a chill in my spine that God knows every motive of my heart. He knows what is thinking and what is going on in there and what it wants. I think we brought that up on one of the past episodes, the the phrase of only God can judge me. It's like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a scary term. Like only God could judge me. No, I'd rather take judgment from other people at this moment. It's probably going to be less harsh. But, you know, God knows our heart and he knows our motives. And and when you're talking about the faith thing and the the whole like Passover and people doing it, and even if there was like a little hesitancy in them or fear, I don't think faith negates fear. I just think faith will override fear, but there could still be fear in faith. And I, I don't know, for me, I just kind of, I'm looking at this and even... When Jesus or when God comes to Cain, a lot of times you could read it as a rebuke, but I think God was just trying to like steer him in the right direction. It was a helpful thing. It would oh, be yeah, like absolutely. as a father going to my son and saying, don't walk with the scissors that way because something bad could happen. It's not necessarily a rebuke and a harsh conversation. So I know I, I get from there that he's looking at the heart of Cain and he's trying to win it to him. On that point before we go to the break, because I think that we can dig into it on the other side, is just like with Judas, how we had that moment to where like, hey, there's chances for repentance and all this stuff, and then Satan entered into him, and then things were different after that point. 
I see that with this, that, hey, God is trying to give the directive of, hey, you're my kid, turn it around, like, hey, if you do what's right, it'll be good, and, you know, there's a solution to this. And then it's after that, Cain just doubled down in the wrong direction, yeah. and we see that, you know, he just went down that path. So almost pulling out that same thing, and we'll see what happens with the rest of these villains, but to the point to where there's, like, almost a defining line to where God is still reaching out, and then they reject God, and it super goes downhill spirals pretty bad yeah. yeah all right let's touch more on that when we come back the word for word bible comic is completely unabridged not one word is missing the pictures are accurate to the historical and cultural background and help immerse the reader in the ancient setting due to the corruption of mankind the bible is bloody and filled with complex adult themes of abuse and betrayal this comic is therefore aimed at adults and older teens. The Word for Word Bible Comic. Order yours today. Hi everybody, it's Reed. Let's talk anger and how to get rid of it. The best way i found to get all that nasty anger out of my system has been going to the Anger Emporium. The Anger Emporium has a ton of rooms specifically designed to help you unleash the beast within. My personal favorite is the Scream Room, where I can yell to my heart's content. But there is also a new space called My Brother's Keeper. It's located out back in the field and is a great stress reliever. The My Brother's Keeper is a two-for-one special. One price for two people. What a deal. I mean, two buddies out in the field. What can go wrong? The Anger Emporium is sensory located by I-15, 101, 223, 15, and 405 Highway and adjacent to the Beef Gristle Meal. Visit the Anger Emporium and release the anger that's crouching at the door of your heart today. Now let's get back to the show. All right, we're back from the break, and that Anger Emporium is still making its way around getting commercials out there. I want to go. Yeah, sounds like it'll be a good time. Kane should have went. Kane really should have went. <laughs> <laughs> Especially as we get into this, where now God is confronting him. And like I said before we went to the break, that I don't think it was a, it was a rebuke or a scolding or a yelling. I think, I mean, I'll read the verse, but you listen to the words. It sounds fatherly. It sounds caring. It sounds warning. But it's interesting, and I will get to this verse to read, but it's interesting as a younger person, I, I did read it as a scolding. As a parent, I read it as a loving response. And I, I wonder if there's just, you know, the Bible is so cool that as you get into different phases in your life, like things mean differently, things, things hit you in different ways, you know, because you're at a different point. And, and now at the point of being a father and a husband, Reading the Bible through that lens, it's totally different and changing. Yeah. Getting married and then becoming a father, it just unlocks through a personal way understanding the scriptures when it, you know, mm -hmm. talks from those perspectives, which is I'm sure that if I happen to be a farmer or, you know, somebody, I'd understand what Jesus talked about a lot yeah. better from like that. Yeah, I have that through experience. You were saying rebuke and some different stuff when I looked up admonish, because I think it's an admonishment really which looking up the definition for that, to express warning or disapproval in a gentle, earnest manner, 
or to give friendly, earnest advice or encouragement, to say something as advice or warning. Mm -hmm. So like it is a warning, but it's more in that gentle advice kind of thing, yeah. right? Because it is a warning. He said, hey, you got to do this otherwise. But yeah, versus that stern rebuke, hey, you're in trouble. Right. And I think let's read it and, and we'll, everyone can hear for themselves. But it's verse six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? And again, you could read that like, why are you angry? But why are you angry? You know, the compassion behind it. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Again, to me, that sounds like you said, what was the word? Admonish. Admonishment. Like that, that sounds gentle. It sounds loving. Why are you angry? Let's, let's start there. Let's tackle that one. And I think all these questions are the two questions that God lays before Cain in a sense, are always the questions we battle with with sin in our life. Why are you angry? You rejected my offering. I was going to say, just obviously, you know, creating the situation, God comes, why are you angry? And he goes, hey, you know in that book you're going to write about that situation? <laughs> Go back one verse. It says, God had no regard for Cain and his offering. Right. That's why I'm angry. But again, kind of what I was saying was the anger was there. It was, it was an issue. This was an issue, you know? And like I said, we could apply this to our own lives. Like, why are you angry? Why are you greedy? You know, God always coming to us. Why are you greedy? Why are you prideful? Why are you a sloth? You know, laziness taking over your life. Why do you lust? You know, these are all questions that God comes to us. And then he follows up with the next question of, if you do what is right, won't things go well for you? And then the warning is, sin is crouching at your door. It desires you. And, and that desire term, man, that's, that's deep there. Like it, it's just, it's longing for you. It wants you. It, it wants everything to do with you and to take you over. But then he says, but you must master it. And when I think of this and I'm looking at this and you brought it up, I think before the break or maybe, no, I don't think you brought it up for the break. I think you read it in one of those, the Jude one, when we were talking about it. Hmm. Uh, so you want to read Jude? Yeah, I will read Jude. All right, so this is Jude. Jude is a one-chapter book. If you're looking to read a whole book in the Bible, go read Jude. So Jude 1, technically, verses 10 and 11, talking about different men. It says, These men, however, slander what they do not understand. And like irrational animals, they will be destroyed by the things they do instinctively. Woe to them! They have traveled the path of Cain. They have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. They have perished in Korah's rebellion. Which obviously that's pulling out themes throughout a lot of the Old Testament there. But getting that traveling the path of Cain, these people who slander what they don't understand. And like irrational animals, they'll be destroyed by the things they do instinctively. Right? And we were talking about it during the break that Cain's instinctive things was, I'm angry. I'm jealous. I don't like the situation. Instinctively, let me go and take care of the situation. Right? From that place. And when, I, when you read that, it kind of clicked in my head to this concept of like, so sin in our life necessarily doesn't mean Satan in our life, right? It, it just means there's this, the flesh inside of me. And that's the animal, the thing that's crouching at his door. In a sense, it's almost like thinking the thought was, it's him. And, you know, when you read that, the animals thing that really clicked in, don't go the way of Cain, who unleashed the animal that was inside of him. He opened the door and it came out. And God's there telling him, you must master it. And it's exactly what, in a sense, all of us are told, like, do not walk in these ways. Do not do these things. Master, and not necessarily saying you're in control or you're the one who did it, but 
lean into me to help you get through these these things that you're struggling with. And the the one thing of of self-control, part of being the fruit of the spirit, I think a lot of times people think of self-control as like, I'm in control of the self. But I, when I really started looking into it, it's the the idea of I, I, I'm not doing those things because I want to do what pleases God more. And because I'm going that route instead, there's the walking away from the other things. So how you were saying we're all struggling through this and, you know, it's a sin, it's that thing inside of you, it's the, you don't want to unleash the beast or, you know, how yeah. that looks like. So we have with Adam and Eve that um, Satan is there tempting, right? The serpents in the garden and tempting. And then we learn through Romans and other scriptures that sin entered the world through one man. And it's not talking about sins. It's this thing of sin that seeks to control us. And we have those two things working in tandem against this. We have the sin within us that wants by our own desires, by our own temptations to go into it. But then we also have this enemy that's wanting to take us down. I think sometimes we can overgeneralize and be like, oh man, the enemy's trying to take me down. It's like, no, you just want to do bad things, <laughs> you know, but also the enemy will take advantage of those. So you can have those two things coming together. But the advice that God is giving there is that you must master it. There is a personal responsibility to do what's right. And I see, again, that's also what God is saying. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? We don't have the background there. We don't get the background in Genesis 4. Why are they offering sacrifices? That's never been laid out as something that God would want. How do we know that the first fruits is better? We don't know that, right? So there's a lot of these questions that aren't answered, but God is obviously telling him, you know what's right. Yeah. You know why you're angry. You know why you're depressed. You know what the situation is. Why? You know the right thing to do. If you go and you do that, won't you be okay? But then also saying, hey, if you don't do that, sin is crouching at your door. It desires you. And even to look at that up until this point, Cain's been wrestling through a lot of stuff, but he still hasn't entered into the sin of the situation. You know, he, he didn't offer the best sacrifice that he could have offered, but God is saying, hey, sin is there. It, it wants to take over you, that thing within you that wants to take over. And that's the way it went. It's such an interesting story, too, of Cain and Abel. Bonhoff, Bonhoeffer? Yeah, Bonhoeffer. Uh, I heard him say this, or I didn't hear him. I read that he said this because the guy's been gone a long time ago. Uh, but it was, he was uh, talking about Cain and Abel, and it said, why? Because he hated Abel? Yes, but also known. Why did Cain murder out of his hatred for God? And to me, that was like a, a big sticking point of all this, that he was so angry with God. And, and I, I, I kind of came to this understanding uh, a while ago that when we look at sin, sin is generally just towards God. Like, I can't sin towards you. I could hurt you by my actions, but when I sin, it is a thing between me and God. That's the vertical action going on. When David murdered Uriah and had the affair with Bathsheba, he said, I have sinned against God and God alone. Even though Uriah was hurt in the process because he was murdered. <laughs> yeah, the hurt is uh, <laughs> skirting a, around yeah, the issue. You know, because he was murdered. But that wasn't a sin against him necessarily. He just, it was a ramification. So there's the, hor uh, the vertical and then the horizontal is what we do to each other. So looking at this, it's kind of like it was his anger and, and he was angry with God. And it boiled down. It was festering because, again, we don't know the time between God's rebuke of saying master it and the time this thing happened. But just that boiling and festering of something that when God's warned you, do something about it or you're going to make a big mistake. I've been there with my life in my own personal life where there's a sin issue I'm struggling through and God's saying, if you don't do this, 
it's going to lead to a bad situation. And there have been times where, yeah, I, I couldn't control my anger. And it led to a bad situation, whether it be an argument with Justine or even getting beat up or something, you know, because my, my mouth got the best of me in anger. So he's warning him because something's coming and he has to master it. And then it's the boom. Okay, so he's against God and then he goes and he hurts somebody. I was even thinking about the fact that even the devil, right? You can't hurt God. So in the enemy trying to go against God, he comes and hurts us. And it's the same thing. Like, how am I as a human being going to hurt God if I'm angry at him? The only thing that I can do is take place in the physical world around me and I end up hurting other people. Yeah, because of that feeling that's there. In 1 John 3, which is the other place that it talks about Cain, John's talking, verse 11 says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So that was even back Adam and Eve from the very beginning. There's supposed to be love. God is love. We're made into his image. We're supposed to love one another. When Jesus comes, that's his message. Love one another. Love just like I've loved you. But in verse 12, he says, don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Right? So there's a difference between loving, love one another and then belonging to the evil one, right? And murdered his brother. And why did Cain slay him? Because his own deeds were evil, while those of his brother were righteous. So do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. So just bringing that into God created us to love. God created us to be in relationship with him. And when we step outside a relationship with him, who are we in relationship with? We're in a relationship with the evil one. And we have our own evil deeds within that, right? And then that puts us in opposition to God and to anybody who is also righteous. So John there is bringing that into just living a Christian life that, A, you're in relationship with God and you're doing good and you're living a righteous life. Other people who, you know, belong to the evil and don't belong to God, they have their own evil deeds. They are going to hate you mm. because they're going to take out things against God on you. Right. Yeah. That's not the full completeness of it, but just what you were saying, it that really triggered in, in my mind and brought that scripture into a, a better understanding that even preparing for this message, this message, <laughs> <laughs> this podcast, that I hadn't seen it that way. So, yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, and I like that, that it, when Jesus brought that up and tying it all together of, like, you, you love your brothers, like, don't do what Cain did, who obviously there was a feeling towards his brother of jealousy because of everything that what separates us from from the world because Cain went the way of the evil one so that obviously means he's walking in the way of the world what separates us is that we love one another and you know it's it's been a, a weird couple of years in in like our country where it's just so it just seems so much easier to just not like somebody for what they stand for what they think or thought processes or where they stand on subjects which is where it says don't go the way of Cain because man just bringing that into that it's kind of scary to hop on social media because i really feel like even sometimes people say it it's just flat out on social media basically hey come out to this field because i'd really like to kill you out yeah. there and going in even too deeper of, of you know where again i think we talked about it in the judas one where where the ten commandments was do not murder right so we're talking about don't physically kill someone and jesus says in the sermon on the mount no no you've heard that i'm telling you with your words and with your deeds and how you treat people you could be murdering them and we do that all the time we we attack people with words and it, and it just seems like it's been a very 
rough year like that. So how do we as Christians separate? Do we go out there combating things on social media with different posts on our thoughts and our views and our philosophies? Or do we just love the people who are different from us and we give them the love that Christ wants to give them so that way, you know, we could change this course and not go the way of Cain who followed the evil one. He just went down that path. I have to cut you off because you're bringing too much grace and mercy and all the stuff that we're supposed to do as Christians. This is about villains. Yeah. Like Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I do not know, he answered. Am I my brother's keeper? What have you done, replied the Lord? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield its produce to you. You will live, you will be a fugitive and wander on the earth. Because we're looking at hindsight and we're bringing in all the stuff that we learned from Christ. But right here, Cain is the villain. Yeah. He goes out and he walks that way. And it's, it's even more interesting when you like, get into like Cain is the villain. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. You just straight up lied to God. Like, you lied to God. He checked you already earlier. He knows what's in your heart. Where's your brother? I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. One time here at church, somebody asked where you were. I forget what. And I was like, am I my brother's keeper? And then I stopped and said, that's what the murderer says. No, I I don't know where Chris is at right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's there, you know, and that's such a popular term that people use nowadays. Am I my brother's keeper? But it's such a... It just really, to me, the, his response showed the way he referred to his dead brother, it revealed like his heart was just hardened and just there was, it was indifferent. It didn't care. I don't know. You know, the, I could, I, I guess sometimes when it, it's all up to us, when we read things, we could kind of read it in the mm-hmm. way we would reply or say things. And when I read that, I just hear my snarky, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? It's obviously a lie. I'm, yeah. Like, you know, however he said it, it's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, some interesting stuff within this that, again, Kind of scholarly people digging in, looking at other ancient Near Eastern stuff and just what could have been going on around that time. Because obviously we have these sacrifices being made and the fact that when Cain goes out, he's like, hey, there's other people around that will kill me. So there's obviously other people doing stuff, which that's a whole how did that happen type of conversation. Yeah, not going to get into that. But yeah, I don't want to get into that either. Different podcasts. I'm sure that we can direct you to somebody smarter than us that can talk about this one. But it was kind of interesting that going back to that concept of Cain worked the ground. And there's one of the things that I was looking at as far as making sacrifices and within pagan nations, they would think that, oh, if the fertility of the ground, if we make a sacrifice, then the the ground will oh, give its yield. So it's almost like, oh, I'm going to take him out to my field. I'm going to sacrifice him. Hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, and just yeah. like spilling the blood out. And again, going into some of these ancient pagan practices and stuff is that the letting of the blood out that the life going into the ground will then produce a, a yield from that, which almost puts like a double thing on top of it. Yeah. I'm really mad at you and I'm going to take you and go and like do this. That's not in the scriptures, but just through studying it a bit, it's an interesting concept behind that sacrifice and going out into the field that he's almost now sacrificing his brother. Mm. Like he definitely killed him. It was premeditated murder. Uh, which was the sin, but just to consider other things on top of it. Because yeah. who knows where you're at in your mind? You know, the mm-hmm. culture affects your mind, the things that you do when you're sinning and all the stuff of just, what was Cain expecting to get from this? Yeah. Especially when you consider, dude, you just killed the shepherd. What's going to happen to all of like this? <laughs> like, that's helping to support your family. You guys are brothers. Like, it just, it's insanity. Yeah, and I think that's a, the right word to use because 
sin drives us to do things that we wouldn't normally do on an everyday basis. And it is almost, it, it is insanity. We are doing these things. And again, I want to go back to the response of, I don't know mm-hmm. the lie, because to me, that clearly also defines his relationship with God. And in looking at Cain and Abel, like I said, at and God and all this, when I said at the beginning, I really look at this as a story of Cain and his relationship with God. Because that's the focal point of everything of this. It's the God talking to Cain. It's God coming to help Cain. It's Cain getting angry at God, Cain getting frustrated, Cain then killing his brother, and then Cain lying. And there was a, his relationship with God wasn't, wasn't right. And, and it's almost when, when going back to like, do what is good, do what is right, have that proper relationship with me. Yeah, because we, we look at it, oh, it's the story of Cain and Abel. But Abel's just kind of like mentioned along the way. He's a recipient of what's going on with Cain. But the conversations are between Cain and God. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... So I, I think that, and then getting into where, where God delivers the, the judgment to him and, you know, you'll be a wanderer. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land. I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on this earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. I think growing up, I would look at that as like, oh, he felt bad, right? Like he's kind of saying like, oh, no, this is too much for me. I've messed up. How am I going to live with myself? And whoever finds me is going to kill me. But today I look at it and I... doesn't really seem like remorse. No, it just seems more like self-pity and terror. Like, well, what about me? You know, it's coming back to that question of where Cain has kind of, I think, been dealing with, well, what about me? okay, finally I'll give you some of my fruit because I produced a good year here. Oh, now I'm angry. There's a lot of I, me, and and it's just a lot of that with him. And I read that and I'm like, no, he doesn't feel anything other than how can I protect my own life? How is my own life going to be safe? And then God tells him that no one will harm you, like we mentioned earlier, because they'll put a mark up, I'm marking you. And whoever sees that will know it's from God. And then he goes out and... Cain then finds his wife, which again, where did she come from? I don't know. You're not going to hear that answer from this podcast, at least today. And honestly, I don't even, I wouldn't even know what answer to give you for that. But anyways, she becomes pregnant. He has a son named Enoch and he builds a city and names it after his son Enoch. God's judgment to him was, you're going to be a restless wanderer, meaning you will move from place to place. And again, now I'm just going to do my thing and I'll build a city and live here. And it just the even the summation of that, and we go into like verses seventeen through what is it twenty six, and and I think you want to touch on some of that a little bit, but we go into that part of it where it's just this is Cain's life. It's just it's a it's a God wanting a relationship with him, and him just wanting what he wants for his own life. It seems like to me, pretty crazy going through this, and just when you really think about it, meditate and put yourself in there and and suss it out a bit, how much is in it that's so relevant. I did want to get down into those later verses a bit, but I thought about it while we were talking as well, is when we were talking about it's not really a story about Abel so much, but Abel was also a human Mm -hmm. who struggled through the same stuff, who had to keep up a relationship with God in the same way. And it's like, do you think that the decision to give his first fruits wasn't a decision that he had to willingly make? Do you think that temptation and sin wasn't also wanting to overtake him? You know what I mean? And it's just like he is the silent figure of righteousness mm. that we don't really get, well, why did he do it and whatever? But like he was obviously doing it. 
we've been really digging in Cain, rightfully so, but just to look at, here's an example of two brothers. And one of them was able to make the right decision, you know, and do that. And even going into it, I like that you brought that up too, because it was, it doesn't mean like Cain or Abel struggled with anything or wasn't at a moment where sin was crouching at the door of his heart. He was just choosing to, to worship God and walk in his ways. I, I got this quote and I really liked it. And I'm glad you brought it up to there because I didn't know how I was going to tie it in. But it said, without the heart, it's not worship. It's a stage play and acting a part without being that person. And it's really, you're a hypocrite. We may truly be said to worship God, though we lack perfection, but we cannot be said to worship him if we lack sincerity. Mm. And, and I, I think that's where, like, you know, we're not trying to tell people you have to live this perfect life in any of this and saying, like, Cain or Abel was the perfect brother and Cain was the bad brother. I'm sure, like you said, there was a struggle between, do I give my first offerings? Is this even right? My parents told me that when they got exiled out of the garden, that God made a sacrifice and it was a, an animal without blemish and that. So maybe if I do this sacrifice, you know, that would make God happy. You know, there could be all that tied into the reason why they started. Could be. But again, speculation. But ultimately, it, it's, it's the heart was there to worship God. And when I think of Cain, the heart wasn't there to worship God. Yeah, it's, which a, is, it's a war of the heart story. Which is where you're at before that quote. And I really like that quote when you're talking about just the, it's the I, I, I coming all the way through. And even to the point of, hey, you're going to go be a wanderer. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go set up a city. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's just the whole way. And seeing within it, just, you know, when you're making your own decisions and when God's trying to reach out to you and you go against that and you just keep forging your own way that's outside of, you know, what God is doing for you. Look at what happened here. You have Adam and Eve, where we started. You have Cain and Abel. Now Abel's dead and Cain is estranged from his family. He goes off like we have the first family broken apart by somebody, you know, break, messing up the relationship with God and falling into sin. Again, like it's, the, it's the human story of what we're seeing. And then now you just have Cain over here creating his own family. They're doing their own thing. And that's, you know, 17 through the end of the chapter. Before you get into that, I just noticed something. I'm looking at this again. And you said something that touched on it. And then I'll let you get to your thing. And, and then we'll wrap up the show. He tells God, today I will be hidden from your presence. When I think of that, clearly he didn't know who God was to say, I will be hidden from your presence. Because if he knew who God was, he would know that God can always see us where we're at. And I, I even thought about Adam and Eve when they sinned. What did they do? They went and hid, right? We can hide from God. I can hide away in, in this area. But God always sees us, and he always comes searching for us. And just like them, that's what he did. And so, again, i just looking at this, like, this relationship between the two of them. He didn't know God. Because if you knew God, you would know that, yeah, I can't hide from you. You are always there. I mean, at some point when God came to him the first time, he was somewhere, and God found him where he was at. Both times when he killed his brother and when he first addressed him, he found him wherever he was at. So to think that I would be hidden from your presence, I just kind of, that the word just hidden popped up into my head, and I just thought, like, man, he's, he's, he's got it wrong. Yeah, I wonder if some of that kind of even goes back to verse 4 and 5, to when they were offering the sacrifices, and it says that the Lord looked with favor on Abel, but no regard for Cain. And just like God, God's face kind of looking at you and the blessing and the everything mm -hmm. that comes from that to where I'm saying from your face, I'll be hidden. He's like, oh, you're casting me out. I thought that you weren't looking before. 
like here's a punishment that like i just can't bear it now i'm really you know hidden from your face i don't know i wonder if it's yeah. more just like you're not gonna look at me anymore yeah and that, like, that i'm also just completely really good done i think maybe it's both you know mm-hmm. i don't know if it needs to be either or maybe yeah. it's both but yeah just knowing god i always wonder with, with these stories and a lot of the stories just what would have happened if they like if there was just repentance you know because even that you're we were kind of saying it doesn't seem like remorse what if you're yeah like, dude god i I don't know if you say dude, God, but sometimes I really screwed up, you know, woe is me. I killed my brother. What's happening with my parent? Like, you know, I need your grace. I need your mercy. You, you know, I always wonder. Well, I think the beauty of the Bible is that you find that it's not going to be in Cain. Oh, no. You, yeah, you know, we do find you, it. But yeah. I was just wanting in certain circumstances. Yeah, like what if Cain? Yeah, but we do have him. Cain departed, uh, went to the land of Nod, which. A nod, a nod. <laughs> Yes, not, not. <laughs> I said I was going to do that before we start the show, so I had to. Which not is just the land of wandering, basically. So he went to the land of wandering where he's supposed to be wandering and set up the, the city. But And we have, you know, Enoch was born of Erod, and Erod was the father of Mahujel. Mahujel was the father of Methusel. Methusel was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, Ada and Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, and those who dwell in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the harp and flute. I'm just rushing through this real quick. Zillah gave birth to Tubal-Cain, a forger of every implement of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Then Lamech said to his wives, Aiden Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have slain a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So we see that uh, just coming through that family line, here's another murder. And there's so much that I think that when we look in, in various places in Scripture, it talks about like generational curses type of thing and just stuff that comes down the family line and depend on how you want to look at a curse. But I think that a really broad way of looking at it is, hey, you have your, what is that, your great, great, great grandpa or something like that. He killed a man and turned away from God. And now you've been raised in that environment of whatever that looks like. And whatever can become normal for your family and just the habits and there's just everything that gets taught along the way. And now all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe you have the story of just like, oh, yeah, great, 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 great grandpa. He he killed a guy. Mm-hmm. Now I've killed a guy. Yeah, I, I think that does go deep, too, because, I mean, this is looking at instance of murder, which you could always then boil down to that it was an anger thing. We don't know the, the exact details of what happened between him and the young man, but he said he injured him. An injury to me would be a black eye. Hey, you punched me, so now I'm going to murder you you know that's an anger thing that's an anger issue and and i think it's a good warning here to be careful especially for us as parents the things that we don't want our kids to have to endure the things that we struggle through how do we prevent that that to go to them because kids they're they're sponges man they pick up everything from us they they have characteristics like us you know with remy i i have anxiety issues and i could see it in her so I'm trying to figure out how she can work through it so that she doesn't deal with it the same way I did. But also, like, how can we stop this? How can we prevent it? I'm very particular in things. Like, I use certain forks only at the house. It's the, the smaller forks, and they have a certain pattern on them. I will not use another fork. I will wash the fork I need in order to use that fork. I will get frustrated if someone uses those forks because those are my forks. To a certain extent, I was going to say, I feel like, 
a lot of people, if you have a mix of cutlery, a lot of people have the ones that they like. But yeah, you took it out to a different level. Yeah, yeah, level. too far, right? And then I could see in Remy where she's very particular about things. This has to be a certain way. And I'm seeing these traits about myself now flowing into my daughter. So what I've done is, and I've, I've said it out loud, is just seems like, we don't have any more of your forks. And I'm like, it's okay. Just give me whatever fork for dinner from now on. I will use whatever fork. I wanted Remy to see that so that she could understand, like, we've got to move past these being particular about things. But it is that we as parents, it's, it's, it's a warning of like, be careful. You can pass down certain things to, to your children that go down. But you're bringing up anxiety and particularness and, and that like, there's sin issues, right? Here's, mm-hmm. you know, a guy murdering a guy. So yeah, it's, it's all throughout that. But what's interesting that I picked up even within it is when you have the story of Cain and Abel and how God is interacting with Cain and just all of that situation lead up to it, then that's one thing. And you have God proclaiming the mark, right? For whatever that mark is, it's just like, hey, nobody come against Cain otherwise. And then now you have Lamech. He's proclaiming it for himself to his wives. And he even goes beyond. He says, hey, if Cain's avenged sevenfold, then me 77fold. And it's just the twistedness that's there of just like even moving it below is like, hey, you're not having your interaction with God here. God's not proclaiming this over you. You just killed a guy and now you're going to your family and you're proclaiming that. So it's just like, look at how many degrees removed from where Cain was at. Both of them are bad, but I don't know. I'm not trying to put too much into it, but I just can see families that over generations that move away from God or that never knew God or, you know, whatever that is. And just how far removed, like, oh, you know, my great-grandparents stopped going to church, but my grandparents were kind of raised in it for a while, but then they stopped going, but then they never took my parents, so then my parents never took me, and a lot of the things that were normal for the great-grandparents just became less and less and less until, like, a new form of living took over. Or the grandparents went, but they never practiced it. Yeah, yeah, whatever that looks like, yeah. kind of went, but then lost the touch of it, and now the kids don't even go, and, and I I think they say a lot of times now they're, that we don't have as many atheists as much as they're apathists. They like they just don't care. There's, they don't care about anything for the church. Uh, I do like what you're saying and everything, and and I kind of want to go into like kind of this wrap up because like yeah, yeah. you're you're talking about like this tale of men just kind of doing what they wanted. Like Cain just did whatever he wanted. His great 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 grandson just murdered somebody and then declared whatever he wanted for somebody. Or for people. And and verse 25 through the end says, Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son named Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. And even there, kind of that like restoration, kind of restoring. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And then the last tail end of it, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And to me, that then, it's again, words are important. After all, this stuff takes place then people start calling on the name of the Lord. And you can just see that this is the point where like, well, later with Noah, you can see it got worse again. But this is the point where then people started turning their ways and really following God. And maybe hearing the tale of Cain and Abel, did it, it help change some lives of the people there and, and the people who were living and make them want to call on God's name. So interesting story with Cain. Yeah. There's a lot there. I, and again, one chapter, but digging through it does do some real depth inside of what it is. I did have one last thing. Go for but it. But you're not allowed to talk about it because we're, we're, we're okay. at the wrap-up. Is that God, when kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden, or expelling them out, kicking them out, however you want to say it, told 
Eve, she was like, hey, or he was like, hey, you're going to have increased pain in childbirth and all this stuff, but your seed, you know, will have a damage heal, but will crush the enemy. And paraphrasing there. So you just wonder, Cain is the firstborn. You got to wonder if mom is thinking, am I seeing, is this coming through my seed? Like, God never is like, hey, like in like 4,000 years, something's going to happen. You know, here's her seed coming out. And she's like, oh, going to crush the head. And then this is the dude that goes and kills your other son and then takes off. And just like, what? Yeah. And just what? Like, I don't know. That That's just such a crazy concept for me. And then, and I just brought that up because in verse 25, she says, God has granted me another seed in place of Abel since God, since Cain killed him. So just looking at that promise coming through and just God's promises makes, like, God keeps his promises even where the enemy comes in, sin is crouching, we fall into it and stuff. It's like, God is good. And that's that. Men began to call in the name of the Lord. And it's just, yes, that's the, <laughs> that's the response. I like that. I really want to say something about that, but you said I can't. But I do like that that's a good point <laughs> to bring in that God still works through and his promises still run through even though men mess things up. And I, honestly, it's a good way to look at things right now. Like, Again, just touching on what we're living through, through the times that we're living in, like it's crazy out there. The world is nuts and it's scary. And a lot of people can be fearful of what may or may not come. And a lot of people could look at things and say, this is, this is just wrong and it's just wrong, right? But God's promises are always there. And the seed continued through. Jesus came, conquered death, crushed the enemy, stepped on its head, and gave us the ability to have a relationship with God. And then the follow-up promises, you'll have eternity with me, and I'll come back. In between there, you know, there's no real promises of like, hey, life's going to be all fine and dandy, and the world's going to work perfectly. No, there's sin, and it is, the world is the enemies, and it, people work through it. But the promise is Jesus. And once I have that promise, I've got the complete promise. So I'm going to wrap it up there because I keep talking. I did like that. That was a good touch-up to end it. Once you then begin to call on the name of the Lord, you get that complete promise. Everything else doesn't matter. Right, because we're talking villains, and at a point, we've all been enemies to God. Yeah. But thanks to God's promises, he welcomes us in, he transforms us, we become his children. And just like that one in First John 3, don't walk the way of Cain. Now we walk in the way of Jesus, which is to love one another, even to love your enemies. So, yeah, I think that's... That's it. Yeah. All right, I'm Chris. I'm Yurdluh. We're your church friends. Thanks for listening.